the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. According to Scripture, which we begin at the place is the Word of God that is perfect and truth. There's only one godly expression of sexual desire acted out, and that's in the context of a marriage between a man and a woman. Welcome to The Barnabas Effect with Paul Purvis, Senior Pastor of Mission Hill Church, a multicultural, multi-generational, multiplying church focused on shining the light and love of Jesus Christ like a city on a hill. You're invited to visit any of the three locations in Temple Terrace and Tampa. For information and locations, visit missionhill.org. Now, with today's message, here's Pastor Paul Purvis. At every one of our campuses, we're asking that question, who wrote the book of love? Where do we look? Where should we look when we're looking for answers about life and love and relationships? And I think it's not going to be a surprise to you that when we're thinking about dating and love and romance and sexuality in marriage, the greatest book in the world is the book of love, and that's God's word, the Bible, and the greatest section of words that's written on love is found in the Bible. It's a 3,000-year-old love poem. It's written specifically about every aspect of love, and it's written with clarity and conviction. I want you to take your copy of God's Word, whether it's in print, like those pew Bibles in front of you, or whether it's on your phone or on a device, and I want you to turn with me near the middle of your Bible to Song of Solomon, the Song of Solomon. And I want you to find something like the back of that bulletin to take some notes on and find something like a pen, pencil, lipstick, mascara, Crayola, or perhaps in this series, lipstick, something to write these notes with. And I want us to laugh and learn together today. I want you to think about this. Is it possible that God gave us more than just talking points, than just cliches, than just sound bites? about love. Now, you know what I'm talking about. Most of us, if you've hung out in church very much, you've heard some of those sound bites and cliches and talking points. You've heard, do not commit adultery. You've heard, love your wife as Christ loved the church. You've heard, wives, submit to your husbands. But is it possible that aside from these few things, God has given us a little more, that he, he dug deeper, that he gave us specifics? And the answer to that question is yes, he gave us that in this book that we have called Song of Solomon. In fact, God gave us a lot more. He gave us what some would call lurid details. And he demonstrates that the same God that desires our passionate love toward him and demands our intentional love toward others defines and describes intimate love right here in his word, the Bible. And we're going to see what he has to say. But while you're still getting things ready, I want you to hear what some boys and girls say when they think about love. Now, you may have heard one or two of these, but if it's good, it's worth repeating, right? 
They answered this question, how do you decide whom to marry? And Alan, who was 10 years old, said, you got to find someone who likes the same stuff. Like if you like sports, she should like it and she should keep the chips and dips coming. (laughs) Kristen, who's also 10, replied, no person really decides before they grow up who they're going to marry. God decides it all way before and you got to find out who you're stuck with. Well, that's one way to look at it. They're asked, how can a stranger tell if two people are married? Derek, who's eight years old, said, married people usually look happy to talk to other people. (laughs) A boy named Eddie responded, you might have to guess based on whether they seem to be yelling at the same kids. (laughs) That's a possibility too. (laughs) They asked, why do people go out on a date? And Lynette, who's eight, she was straightforward from the female perspective. She says, dates are for having fun and people should use them to get to know each other. Even boys have something to say if you listen long enough. <laughs> and responding to the question, how do you make a marriage work? A seven-year-old boy was wise beyond his years when he said, tell your wife that she looks pretty even if she doesn't. And that is a wise, wise young man. Well, I want to give you a little background on the Song of Solomon. The Song of Solomon, I believe, may be the most least understood and misinterpreted book in the Bible. I think it's probably one of the books in the Bible, unless you're in this church or churches like this, that you've heard the least on. You could fully get into sex and romance from this book just as clearly as you get into theology and salvation in the book of Romans. Some have asked the question, is this book literal or is it allegorical? In other words, is this a book that's describing a relationship about a man and a woman? Or is this a book in which we're supposed to see our relationship between us and God? And what do you think the answer to that question is? Yes. Some have thought it's too obscene to be in the Bible. And as we walk through this together, you might see why some of them thought that. I would suggest to you it's always dangerous when we make unnecessary distinctions in our life, when we make a distinction between the sacred and the secular that God has not made. As Christ followers, we're going to hear over and over again today, as we do in this place, that everything we do, whether we eat, sleep, drink, whatever we do, we're all to do for the glory of God. So everything in our life is to be for the glory of the sacred. We have to be careful not to make a distinction where God does not make one. It's a song about human love. It's in the context of marriage. It's found in the Bible from an author of what we call wisdom literature. Shout out any other writings besides Song of Solomon that Solomon wrote in Scripture. Proverbs, Ecclesiastes. So some would say that Proverbs was written primarily to young men. If you're a father, if you're a man, if you're a son, a a boy... Of any age, I would encourage you to get in that practice of reading the Proverbs daily. Just challenges specifically men on their character. Some would say that Song of Solomon is like a cold shower for young women. And that it's written in mind that young women should understand the context of relationship and love. And of course, Ecclesiastes is written with that understanding of what does life really mean. This was Solomon's song of all songs. We're told historically that he wrote 1,005 songs. That's not counting his Proverbs, his other literature. 
He was a songwriter. But this is called, in your Bible, at the heading, the song of Solomon. The song. Some just say, the song of songs. This is the song. And I want to give you the big idea. The song gives us a picture of what an ideal godly relationship should look like. And it points us to God himself, the author of love. So no matter where you are in life, the song has application for you. Ultimately, marriage, the pinnacle of a godly relationship, is designed to be a reflection of our relationship with God. So certainly this gives us tools toward marriage. What if I'm not married or not yet married? Well, the reality is this gives us good rules for every interpersonal relationship that we have. What if I feel like I'm doing pretty good on my interpersonal relationships? Well, you probably can do a little better. But even still, the reality is this book points us to what a relationship with God should look like. Remember, it is literal and allegorical. It speaks to both of these. I recognize as we walk through this that some of you have experienced great hurt and pain as it comes to relationship. That may be through an unhealthy relationship that ended or perhaps an abusive relationship that still has not yet ended. It may be as a result of death. I want to encourage you not to run. I want to encourage you that God can speak to you through this and that my prayer is that the messenger is sensitive to that reality in each and every one of these weeks as we go through. Song of Solomon speaks to the different stages in relationships, the stages of attraction and dating and intimacy and friendship and conflict. Can I get a witness? That's a part of relationship, right? And faithfulness. Now, speaking of that, let's take a time out. <laughs> Do you know anything about Solomon? Do you find it interesting that in God's holy word, inspired by the Spirit of God, and in church, we would turn to Solomon for wisdom <laughs> about relationships? He had a couple of relationships. In fact, according to the Scripture, he had 700 wives and 300 concubines. There are three thoughts that theologians have about this book and why it is so applicable for our lives. One thought that I, I don't agree with, but some would say that this is not by Solomon, but two are about Solomon. Others would say that this was written by a young Solomon about his first true love. Others would say, and I tend to think this could be the case, that it's written by an old Solomon who, looking back on his life in reflection and repentance, wants people to see what a relationship is all about. We don't know, but this is what we do know. This is the Word of God. It's perfect and true, it's real, and it's relevant, and it's applicable to our lives. You know what else we know? Our God uses imperfect instruments. Aren't you grateful for that? And that's probably a good chance for me to give my weekly disclaimer. As I tackle this subject, I, I want you to know that as a man, or as a married man, as a pastor, I, I don't pretend to to have it all figured out on this area. In fact, I would say, I think as most of us would probably say, if we've lived enough life, that our greatest sinfulness is reflected 
in the context of our deepest relationships. Now just think about that. It wasn't written down, but I think it's pretty good. Our greatest sinfulness. So my biggest struggles probably take place with the person that knows me best and loves me most. My bride. I'm so thankful. This summer we celebrated 25 years of marriage. So, yeah, praise the Lord. And thank you, Kimberly, for her grace. If you've just joined us, you're listening to The Barnabas Effect with Pastor Paul Purvis. Video of the message you're listening to is available when you click the Watch tab at missionhill.org. Thanks for sharing time with us and for sharing your financial gifts by clicking the Give button at missionhill.org. And now, with more of today's message, here's Pastor Paul Purvis. Now, the truth is we wouldn't be able to do that if we didn't walk through some things right. But that doesn't mean we walk through everything right. We've learned a lot from some of the challenges, the hard times, the hurts in our lives. I'm so grateful to tell you, though, today that if I had to do it all over again, I'd still do it today. And that the, the one that I love, my bride, that sweet little blonde from Texas City, Texas, is the love of my life. And uh, we have romance. We have compassion for one another. We have commitment and faithfulness to one another. And I think we're still attracted to one another. I know I am to her. Song of Solomon, chapter 1, I'm going to pick up reading in verse 2. Verse 1 just tells us that it is the Song of Solomon. Look at verse 2. Let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth. Now, I want to stop right there and just remind you that 27 years ago when Kimberly and I met on the seminary campus of Southwestern Seminary and we began to get to know each other, this is one of the first verses that I asked her to memorize. (laughs) For your love is better than wine. Your anointing oils are fragrant. Your name is oil poured out. Therefore, virgins love you. Draw me after you. Let us run. The king has brought me into his chambers. And then others, her friends say, we will exult and rejoice in you. We will extol your love more than wine. Rightly do they love you. Wow. Passion. It doesn't take long to get right into the reality that these are words of passion. Let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth. I want you to understand something straight from Scripture. God made you a person of passion. What you have to do is make a conscious decision to use your passions for his glory. Passion is not a bad thing. You were created with passion because you were created in the image of God. And God is a passionate God. You know how I know this? He is passionate about you. That's why at the heart of my prayer a moment ago, I prayed that if you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, today would be the day of your salvation. God passionately desires a relationship with you. And he desires that you're passionate. That's why it says in the Old Testament, and then is quoted by Jesus, love the Lord your God with all your passion with all your heart, your soul, your mind, your strength, with all that you are. When our lives become dispassionate, something is wrong. And this is true in every area of our life. If I'm dispassionate in my spiritual journey, I am unhealthy. If I'm dispassionate 
and my desire to learn and grow, I'm unhealthy. If I'm dispassionate in my work and I'm not doing it for the glory of God, I'm unhealthy. And if I become dispassionate in my relationship, I am unhealthy. Those passionate desires that you feel originate in the mind of God. They're God's designs. So we have to ask, what do we do with those desires? What do we do about the attraction that comes natural to us that we feel between men and women? Look again at verse two, let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth for your love is better than wine. She's saying, oh, Solomon, I am intoxicated with you. Now there's three main characters in the story that we're gonna spend several weeks talking about. The first is King Solomon, the son of David. The second is Shulamite, which interestingly just means Mrs. Solomon. And the third are her friends that are regularly speaking into the story as we saw in verse four. But this is Shulamite saying, let him kiss me with the kisses of his... She's, she's at this moment in her life, we're introduced into this love poem, this song with her just sitting apparently thinking about her man. And she's singing that old gospel song. That song I heard Kimberly sing as she walked by one day looking in my direction. What a man, what a man, what a man, what a man, what a mighty fine man. <laughs> That's what she was doing. Listen to this. Someone said the passionate kiss and the average length one minute says a lot about your relationship. It's considered even more intimate than sex. Passionate smooching is one of the first things to go when spouses are not getting along. Just think about that. She desires him. Please understand this because we're setting the stage today for several weeks of discussion. Passionate desire, sex, and marital intimacy are good things. In fact, they're God things. God is pro-sex. Desire is not bad, but like everything else in our life, when desire is not governed by the glory of God, it is very bad. That's why the Bible speaks of self-control and the Bible speaks of constantly pursuing holiness. Desire is not demonic. Eros is not evil. When God created everything that is, what did he say? It is good. When God took Eve and created him out of her out of Adam's side, what did he say? Whoa, man. Eros is not evil, but Eros out of God's ethos is bad. The Bible does not deny or deny sexual desire. We see that at the beginning of this book. But it warns us of its danger and describes the way that we can rejoice in the right expression of sexual desire. Now, let me just step away from Song of Solomon and give you in the whole context of Scripture what we understand to be the right expression of sexual intimacy and desire. We'll talk about this more on other specific Sundays, but today I want you to understand, according to the Bible, not my word, not modern thought or ancient thought, according to Scripture, which we begin at the place is the Word of God, that it's perfect in truth. There's only one godly expression of sexual desire acted out, and that's in the context of a marriage between a man and a woman. 
And so what that means is that sexual relationship outside of marriage is outside of God's design, regardless of who's that with. There, there's not much discussion when you look at Scripture as to issues that are in the topics of discussion a lot today because Scripture makes it clear there's a very fine line of what is appropriate for marital for expression of biblical sexuality, and that's in a marriage between a man and a woman. That's the only way it's ever discussed and described in Scripture. But Shulamite doesn't just desire his touch. I think this is interesting. She desires his smell. Look at verse three. Your your anointing oils are fragrant. When when I shaved this morning, I put on my Tommy Bahama aftershave. Those are my anointing oils. That's what she's saying. She's not talking about something spiritual here. She's saying, hmm, I... I want to kiss you, but I also want to smell you. Now, brothers, I'm telling you right now, that there is some essential oils. That's what I'm talking about. She also, though, gives a clue to what the main thing is. Look at verse 3. Your anointing oils are fragrant, but your name is oil poured out. What is his name speaking of? His character. And this is where we have to begin in a relationship. We're going to get to the physical. That, that's going to it's described right here in Scripture. We're going to get to that in the next few weeks. But she begins not with physical, not even with emotional. She begins with saying, what's really being poured out to me is your character. I, I see, and I believe we could go as far as to say, your love for God. I, I want you just to think about something. What attracts you to another person? If you're married, what attracted you to that person? Everything in society would point to the physical or the emotional. And yet that's not the biblical way. And the reason is simple. The physical fades and the emotions begin to evaporate. But the character of a person continues to be attractive even as age takes its toil. So it changes each and every year, but, you know, a guy's usually going to get married in his perhaps late 20s or early 30s, sometimes younger. I'm just going to tell you something, ladies. When you see him at that moment, that's as good as it gets physically. (laughs) It's downhill from there. Now, I don't think that's true of women. My wife's getting prettier with age, but the reality for us guys, that's the way it is. If you start with the physical, you are in trouble. Don't be fooled into thinking that physical interaction is a good foundation for love. Within the last two years, I was having a conversation with someone. It really wasn't in a counseling setting. So I'm okay with sharing you the general gist of it. It was a single individual, and they were talking about just their relationships. And we began to talk about their, their practice of intimacy. And, and their thought was, I need to be with a person early in that relationship so I know if that part of the relationship is going to be good. And I said, I, I just need you to know this was not a, a Christ follower. I said, I need you to know that that's not my understanding of, of how you found relationships. That's not the foundation that you want to be based on. It's not the physical. 
but it's also not the emotion. Don't you think for a moment that that funny feeling that you feel when you feel a feeling you've never felt before is what's going to make your relationship last? Because you're going to wake up one day and that feeling is going to be gone. And somehow in our society, we've become warped and we think it's okay to say, I'm going to end this relationship because I don't feel like I love this person anymore. That's not biblical. The Bible says, yes, you marry, a, uh, you, you love the person that you marry, but as you become married, you begin to stay married to the person and love them more. You've been listening to The Barnabas Effect with Pastor Paul Purvis, an outreach of Mission Hill Church. If you're looking for answers to difficult questions or searching for a church home, you're invited to any of the three locations in Temple Terrace and Tampa. Details and directions at missionhill.org. The Barnabas Effect is here to provide listeners like you with biblical truth and spiritual encouragement. But it can't be done without your financial support. Your financial support helps us reach those seeking truth about God and themselves. Thank you for giving at missionhill.org. Weekdays at 9 a.m. Be encouraged by The Barnabas Effect with Pastor Paul Purvis on Faith Talk, a.m. 570 and 910.